Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's program, what in the galaxy is going on with Star Wars? Where do we stand now on the DC Universe? And how to build the better carne asada? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, and also the Lakers Fast Break Podcast, and also Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Thank you so much for listening to all of our shows. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without Mike. Unfortunately, he's not here He's serving detention, everyone. That's Josh Peterson. I'm just kidding. He's he's actually just dealing something with school-related right now. So he's off for today's show. But I like to say he's serving detention anyways because, you know, he's always naughty on the show. Sitting in for him is just such a great pleasure again. He's a great man indeed. He is our master chef of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out everything that he's doing today at SmokingHotConfessions.com his awesome Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, and so much more. It is my good friend from Australia. It is Ben Arnault. What's up, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Good. I'm good. How are you? Man, I'm telling you, it's just so great to talk to you. Like I said, Josh, he's in detention right now, so it sucks for him. But you know what? I get the bonus by talking to a good friend of mine down under. And I'll tell you what, it's just great to have you here talking some great pop culture because we're going to be talking about a lot of great things going on today. Things I know you love to talk about, my friend, including Star Wars, DC, and a lot of cooking, my friend. I know you love all three. That's coming up right here for you. Definitely. All right. First off, my friend, I want to talk to you today about Star Wars, because there's a lot going on this week when it comes to Star Wars news, just left and right. It kept on flowing and flowing. The first thing that I want to talk to you about was the last thing that hit us as far as across the news wires, and that was via the Hollywood Reporter. I got to give them some props for actually breaking the story, and that was the inside story that Kevin Feige is putting his hand, putting it into the kitty jar of star wars he's putting his hand into the star wars galaxy as far as him having an influence in possibly maybe even the next film after the rise of skywalker who knows but 
when you heard this news first, my friend, and you read it and you saw that, how excited were you for Kevin Feige being a part of the Star Wars universe? Mate, I'm really stoked for that. I, I think he's done a fantastic job with the with the Marvel Extended Universe. He's obviously very adept at creating complex, deep, multifaceted universes, which is exactly what Star Wars is, and it's exactly what Disney wants to do with it. So far, until Disney got involved, we just had the Skywalker storyline, and since Disney got involved, they've sort of started to flesh it out into a universe. So it's kind of a no-brainer to bring in the current champion of extended film universes, which is uh, which is Feige. My only concern is that if he's is his attention going to be split between the Marvel universe and the Star Wars universe, and will he be able to perform as well with his attention split in two directions, or if he's going to be able to handle it all? I don't know. But yeah, my initial thoughts are really excited. You know, my good friend Tony Monroy of GameStore said this when he heard the news, huh? Sony said he was too busy for even one universe. And look at that. He's now going to be handling two. Hmm. Hmm. Kind of puts Sony's excuse for why they're no longer associated with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That kind of throws it out the window, my friend, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And that, oh, I'm so disappointed that uh, that Sony's taken Spider-Man out of the MCU. I think, um, I think if for it weren't now, the MCU. Let's, say, let's just say for now. Okay. Yeah, 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 for now, for now. I did actually read read one thing that, that thinks that all oh, this is just a, a particular marketing ploy to drum up more more uh, buzz about the next Spider-Man film already. They're saying, oh, no, we're taking it away, and then it, it'll all come back in the end, and it'll just be that they will have just spun these stories themselves to keep people talking about, about Spider-Man and Venom and all that sort of stuff. You know, all I say is this. If there's any point in time for him to be away from the Marvel Cinematic Universe... As I said before, this is a time because Phase 4 doesn't really deal too much with existing characters, per se, as far as from a silver screen movie sense. Most of them are going to be developing new characters and introducing them into the MCU. And then you have Sony with Spider-Man. The next one, the way it was set up in Spider-Man Far From Home, you'd have to think that, okay, most of that movie is centered on him on the run, trying to reclaim his identity now that has been just out there and, and that he's also been portrayed as a villain. It's been the video manipulated by Mysterio. Spoilers out there, anyone, but you should have seen the movie already. It's over a billion dollars. I'm sorry, I can't help you. But anyways, you know, it kind of sets itself up for at least in the short-term future. But yes, by the time Phase 5 comes and you have, what, the integration of Fantastic Four and the X-Men and a possible secret wars or whatever they're going to do as far as the big baddie is concerned. And they're obviously going to have at that point in time, by then some Avengers movies rolling out, hopefully Spider-Man and Sony will actually be a part of the MCU once again. Yeah. I can't say that they're going to be able to keep them um, separated for that long. And I really liked the new Venom, the character, the actor, Tom Hardy. I, I like the way that he did Venom. I think the film itself could have been a lot better. I think if there was a way to swing it, pardon the pun, to bring Venom and Spidey back into the MCU, like I would love to see Captain America, you know, stepping up against Venom and seeing how that would go down. You know, that universe is expanding and it's going to be getting bigger with all those X-Men characters. And we've already talked about the Eternals in the last show we did together. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be you know, bigger and better. I'm excited to see what it's, 
going to turn out as. And I think it's important that they do this in the, in phase four so we don't end up with sort of superhero fatigue. So we're not going to be seeing these same characters again and again and again and again and again. They're going to sort of, as you said, look away from those characters for a while now and bring in these new ones. So I think that um, that that's a that that's a wise thing, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how how it comes out. But with Marvel head Kevin Feige, as far as excuse me, Marvel Studios head Kevin Feige, he has created this whole universe, and this is all possible because of his ideas his foresight into the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And just a lot of credit has to go to him. Obviously, there's a lot of credit to go around, but a lot of it should be on his shoulders for actually getting to this point in the first place. And if he is given any time to go ahead and focus on a Star Wars universe, just imagine the possibilities of allowing him to go ahead and build that universe in some type of similar fashion that you've seen already from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think there's going to come a point in time where if now, since we heard the news that he's going to be involved with Star Wars and Lucasfilm and all that, that he might actually, for the MCU, maybe pull back on it, maybe hand over the reins to someone else, maybe that's familiar with it, maybe a Taika Waititi or Ryan Coogler or someone that's well-known that, that could also run that efficiently enough and then he's still there if he wants to go ahead and consult or if you want to go ahead and get ideas that he would still be a part of it. I think at some point in time that they're going to go ahead and, as far as Disney is concerned, ask him to go and focus maybe like a 60-40, 70-30 type deals with the Star Wars universe so we can get that off the ground starting in three, five, seven years. Because after the Rise of Skywalker, the next Star Wars film, I believe it's going to be three years after that. So you got to be ready with some type of new universe that you're going to build from there and how you're going to build it is going to be something that if with Kevin Feige's influence into it, it could be something really special once again. Absolutely. There's, there's literally a whole galaxy of options out there for them with what George Lucas has already set up there. And, you know, we've already seen so much, but it's literally limitless, you know, so it, it's going to be fascinating and who knows we we may end up finding out the answer to the age-old question, can a lightsaber cut adamantium? You never know. You never know, my friend. But you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned George Lucas, and I want to bring him up because, again, this was part of our conversation that we were going to have earlier in regards to the Star Wars news that came out this week because Bob Iger, the head of Disney, the man himself, he was pitching his book all across the talk shows this week his new book, The Ride of a Lifetime, going on sale and all that. So if you're interested in, in his thoughts and his biography and all that and his, his inside detail and knowledge of what went on as far as the Disney acquisitions and the rise of Disney in, what, the past decade or so since he's actually taken over. Actually, there's also a good Steve Jobs story. I will give him props for that that I was reading the other day. So if you want to look into that, check it out. But I will tell you that one of the interesting stories from it is when George Lucas was pitching ideas for the next Star Wars trilogy. This was before Star Wars The Force Awakens. And this was around the time that Disney decided, hey, we would like to go ahead and purchase Lucasfilm. So they purchased Lucasfilm, but George Lucas still wanted to go ahead and pitch ideas to Disney on how to go ahead and structure the next three films as far as a trilogy is concerned and he did so but 
when Disney showed him Star Wars The Force Awakens, the level of disappointment with George Lucas was, I guess, very resounding. And I guess it's a little bitter, almost like, I don't want to say an old man get off my lawn type deal, but it, you know, <laughs> it still comes to the point where George Lucas say, hey, you got the $4 billion. Thank you for the suggestions, but we're going to go in a different direction. That doesn't surprise me in corporate America, and nor should it do him or anyone else that goes ahead and follows the Star Wars franchise. Yeah, I, I was reading about that as well. And um, I, yeah, I mean, of course, like it, it's. I mean, let's Star say Wars Disney is- comes to you and buys everything related to SHC, the Smoking Hot Confessions. You know, they buy your entire universe. And you're going to give them some ideas on the way out after collecting your $4 billion because $4 billion seems to be the hot price point for anything that Disney buys. But you know, after they bought it from you for $4 billion, you're going to go ahead and throw some ideas out at you. I wouldn't be too surprised if they would go ahead and say, you know what, those are great ideas, but we're going to go in a different direction. Yeah, look, honestly, if they paid me $4 billion, they'd just never see me again. <laughs> there, wouldn't, there, there wouldn't be any, uh, any fallout over storylines that, that I put out that they didn't follow, I'd just be like, thank you, good night. <laughs> well, maybe you could teach them how to grill some really good turkey legs. They're good there, but I know you could probably have them do better. I'll see what I can do. Maybe I can do some uh, some cooking demo videos. Sounds good, my friend. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Hey, listener, Dutch here from Voice from the Underground, the podcast. My co-host and I want to invite you to check out our little corner of the podcast verse. At Voice from the Underground, we talk about all the crazy <laughs> happening around us and try to make a little bit of sense out of the nonsense with little to no results. If the idea of hearing three semi-intelligent, outspoken nerds talk about politics, social issues, current events, sports, movies, pretty much anything that we decide to talk about because, well, it's our show, appeals to you, grab your shovel and come on down to the underground and then consult a qualified psychotherapist. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, just not where you buy your weed. Voice from the underground. When I was talking about Bob Iger and his new book coming out with the disappointment with George Lucas and and the fact that he was just so disenchanted with the new Star Wars universe. What does that tell you in regards to Star Wars as far as how he saw it to the way how Disney sees it then and now going forward? I think Disney has a certain detachment from Star Wars that George Lucas wouldn't have. So Star Wars has been George Lucas's baby. He's seen it grow. He's seen it develop. It's been done all under his guidance all the way through. And, you know, it's it, it, it's got to be like a child growing up into a teenager, leaving home and, you know, doing all the things that you've told them not to do. But at the end of the day, the teenager is their own person. They're going to make their own decisions and they're going to do what they want. And so my point to all that is with that separation, Disney's aware of what the audience wants rather than just what George Lucas wants. I mean, we saw the fallout between the original trilogy and then the prequel trilogy where George had built all this sort of mythical side of the force and then comes out in the prequel trilogy and no, no, it's all scientific. It's all down to midichlorians. You can measure it and you can number it. And the fans went, what? That's what the force is. That's not what we want. And so there's been no mention of midichlorians since uh, Disney took over. As far as I'm aware, I'm happy to be corrected, but I've seen all They're the They're probably going to make it in its own movie. Midichlorians, the movie. Uh, for when they need a tax deduction 
for all the money that they're going to lose on that. Pretty much. But you were saying, my friend, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no. So I was just saying so that um, with this detachment, Disney's now able to make Star Wars films that the fans want. And so there's going to be a bit of a difference between the direction that the creator sees those characters going in and the direction that the fans want to see those characters go in. They're not necessarily going to be the same thing. You know, you can see the difference between, I was also reading this week with the reviews of the new Rambo film, the author of the original Rambo story from the first Rambo film has come out and said, Rambo now is nothing like the Rambo character that I created 40 years ago. And, you know, that's the same sort of thing. You know, the the writer creates it and fans react to it in different ways and then studios get involved and they, you know, make the smart business decision to go the way the fans want, which is not necessarily the way that the original creators see it going. And not that that's a bad thing. As we said before, where, you know, we've had six movies of George Lucas and we sort of got a bit murky. And, yeah, I, I, I just think that, that that's what it comes down to. The man has spent so long and so much of his life investing into Star Wars that even though he's got four billion reasons to just walk away and leave it all behind, it's got to be hard. It's got to be. But personally, I'm not worried about it in terms of what does it mean for Star Wars movies if it's not what George Lucas said he wants it to be. Well, if it's not what George Lucas wanted it to be, then if he wasn't ready to let it go, perhaps he shouldn't have sold it. I don't know. But, you know, he's he's made his decision. He's let it go. Disney's making decisions based on what fans want and the way fans want it to go. For the most part, we have talked about Last Jedi before. <laughs> just and what look, I was going to say, my friend. Just yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm not too worried about it in, in terms of where the Star Wars movies are going. Well, I'll say this. When it comes to what their direction is, I'm hoping that they'll go ahead and have a clean, fresh start with Kevin Feige being a part of the influence now. I'm a lot more involved, interested, intrigued by what's coming up in the future. When we heard names like Rian Johnson and the guys from Game of Thrones, the writers from Game of Thrones, were going to be a part of the next trilogies. I think the ones from Game of Thrones are still involved. I'm not sure about Rian Johnson, but I'm more interested. I'm more intrigued. I'm more excited about the fact that Kevin Feige is now going to be a part of the Star Wars universe going forward. And to me, I think that's just so enriching as a Star Wars fan because you have a sense of relief knowing that someone who is bringing a quality product to something of a more of a sci-fi, more of a comic book, more of a, you know, that type of background is to me a little bit better off than what the Game of Thrones guys are doing because you're worried about, is it going to be more about political intrigue or more talky, more, uh, you know, less actiony, you know, the Game of Thrones excelled for certain reasons other than what the Star Wars brand has excelled at. I mean, they're almost like two different concepts. So you're worried about those type of things meshing would we get another prequel series like we did before in the 90s? That's what I was worried about when it comes to the Game of Thrones writers being a part of it. But again, I'm hoping all the best when it comes to any work that they do for the Star Wars universe. And when it comes to Rian Johnson, I mean, we already got immediate results from his. I will give him credit on being daring and trying to go ahead and do things differently. Now, mind you, in my opinion, a lot of it massively didn't work. 
and it's very divisive on a on a big time scale with not only Star Wars but regular pop culture fans out there. Some love it, some hate it, and I can't blame either for both. But with the Rian Johnson future, as far as him being given the task to go ahead and create his own trilogy, I would kind of worry about that as well. You know, not having someone there to go ahead and and provide more checks and balances than what was offered with Lucasfilm already. They've made some safe decisions when it comes to J.J. Abrams, and they've made some daring ones which haven't worked out as well. So Kevin Feige now being part of the equation brings me a lot of relief to me as a Star Wars fan going forward that I can say, you know what, at least I'm going to give this now a definite shot as opposed to, oh, the uncertainty in three years when the new Star Wars trilogy gets started once again. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I was a bit concerned as well when it was going to be Rian Johnson with the new trilogy. But if the if the writers from Game of Thrones are going to be involved, Feige's going to be involved. If you combine those sort of you know the the oversight, the Overwatch skills of Feige with the detailed writing and character development of the Game of Thrones, with the as you said, the bravery and the and the courage to try and do things differently and carve a new path of Rian Johnson. That doesn't sound that bad when you got those three players involved. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. Except for the Game of Thrones, which had better seasons, but you know what? You couldn't tell by all the Emmys that it won this past weekend. So go figure about that one. But like I said before, if you want to check my thoughts on that, you know what? The Monday show, The Pop Culture Cosmos, tells you all you need to know how I felt about Game of Thrones winning all those Emmys. But that doesn't preclude from the fact that the Game of Thrones overall was an outstanding series for many seasons and truly was a pinnacle for television in many ways. And I'll tell you what, I'm happy they're all on board. Hopefully they can feed off each other. And with Kevin Feige's influence now as part of the Star Wars picture, I'm just excited for it. But one last thing when we're covering the good and the bad when it comes to the Star Wars universe is the uncertainty for the future for the Star Wars franchises at Disney parks because the president of the or, – or the person in charge of overseeing the entire picture when it comes to the theme parks for Disney here in North America, unfortunately, Catherine Powell stepped down this week a lot of it is speculation here when I say this, but you know, a lot of people are saying it's a mid pressure that the Galaxy's Edge from Star Wars Galaxy's Edge has not produced the kind of attendance that Disney has liked with both its Disneyland and its Disney World versions of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So I ask you, my friend, as someone who would like to go out there and probably check out this, and as someone like myself who wants to do it in the not too distant future as well, your thoughts on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, is it something that looks like it was something that really got us excited and then the, the luster wore off of it really quick? Is it something that you'll still want to go ahead and, and make it a priority when you finally get over to Disney World or Disneyland? I, I want to hear your thoughts on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and really what went wrong as far as the attendance because They'll tell you at Disney that it's just based off of an anticipation that everybody was scared off by, by all the hype and all that. But I think there's something more when it comes to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, it's um, it's been really interesting. Ever since I heard about it years ago when they first, announcement, when they first announced it, I was on board absolutely 100%. And now I'm planning another trip to the States already early next year. And that's on the list of things to do. Take my son to it as well. Take my wife to it. 
and just have a real good good trip out there and have a look around. And I've got to tell you, it's not going to matter what the reviews are. We're still going to be lining up to buy $27 cocktails at the at the cantina. We're still going to be looking at paying $290 to build our own lightsaber each. was just going to ask be, you. Yeah, we're, we're still going to do all those things. That, um, that you can't use there, by the way. You cannot use it in the Galaxy's Edge. The child in me goes, that's not fair. The adult in me goes, yeah, that makes sense. You're not going to want tell you what, uh, and, and does that include the $10 blue milk? Yeah, the blue milk. I don't know. That might be one. I might have to skip that one. <laughs> but it, it still interests you greatly going to Galaxy's Edge, and you will make a priority when you hit the park. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we will still definitely be going to that. You know, Star Wars is something that's that my whole family has sort of bonded over. Despite my wife growing up in the United States and me growing up in Australia, we're still both Star Wars fans. Our seven-year-old is absolutely Star Wars mad. For Christmas two years ago, we completely Star Wars his room out when he was asleep on, on Christmas Eve, laid all red carpet out, Star Wars posters all up around the place, changed all his bed sheets and doona covers and everything to Star Wars. I mean, this whole house is just... We've got Star Wars Xbox games. I can't tell you how many, like, broken lightsaber toys we've got because we've just been sword fighting each other with them. And, uh, yeah, so we'll we'll definitely still be going to all that. As for your question as to why people haven't been going, the adult in me would say if I wait three months to go, then that initial shine will have worn off and maybe the lines will be shorter. So, I, like, I could see that, that sort of logic applying. But, I mean... Uh, people will still line up for two days to buy the next iPhone. So I don't think that anticipation and lining up and I feel like trying to use that as an excuse is a bit of a cop-out. I haven't been there. I've only seen reviews on the internet, photos on the internet, videos on the internet. It all looks cool. And the negativity in the reviews that I've read has just been like talking about the mission inside the Millennium Falcon saying, oh, it's, it's boring because there's only one mission. Well, the well, idea is always with these theme parks is to get you in and get you out right away. Exactly, yeah. It's not going to be – the economy of scale isn't going to be there if they're going to develop 18 different missions so that you can line up and do it again and again and again and again and again because once you've paid to get in, you're in. They need to get you in and out and then get the next paying customer in. So there's the law of returns and ROI and all that sort of thing that, that, that the bean counters have to consider. And – to be honest, I mean, I just don't care if there's only one mission. I'm still going to line up. I'm still going to go. I'm still going to do it. And if the lineup's not four hours to get back in again for the 15-minute ride, I'm probably going to do it again. And, you know, there's there's three different roles that you can take within that ride. Some of the criticism was that if you're not a group of six, because there's two people in each of the three roles, so if you're not in a group of six, you might end up partnered with people that you don't know and you've all got to work together as a team, and so that might not work out. And I, I think that's overthinking Star Wars. I think you just get in, you have a crack, you have a good time, and then you tell everybody about how you got to fly the Millennium Falcon. Like, that's, that's what it's about. That is what it's about, and it, that's what it should be about. I mean, if you base it off of the original vision George Lucas had so many years ago in regards to how he wanted to entertain an audience with this product, obviously that, you know, some of it, and some of his dreams have actually come to fruition, at least to a much larger extent than even he would have dreamed of way back when. I mean, I just think that people are, like you said, are overthinking Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and should just go there at any point in time to have fun and enjoy it for what it is. 
Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, the next ride. It will be at Disney World. That's on December 5th at Orlando's Disney World. And then at Disneyland in California, it'll be on January 17th of next year. So you're going to get within a matter of this winter, you're going to have two, not one, but two great rides there. I think a lot of people are going to get more into it. I feel a lot of that new shine of Galaxy's Edge will come off of it. It would be a little less intimidating. And I know that Disney hopefully will have better times and better attendance when it comes to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which will help promote that part of it. I'm hoping they'll eventually expand on top of that and provide more experiences for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge as they go ahead and also renew and refurbish and rebuild and and also build onto the existing parks already. You already heard about Marvel that's coming to the theme parks that I know you're excited about as well as I am. So there's a lot to look forward to and so many more new experiences coming to each of these parks. But with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, it's something that I think a lot of the kinks need to be worked out. I think they're on their way to getting them worked out. And once the new ride comes out, the Star Wars Rise of the Resistance ride comes out to both parks. I think a lot of this intimidation that people have in regards to going to Galaxy's Edge will be alleviated. And I think as a whole, the Star Wars brand is something that it's a little bit in a state of flux. I can Mm -hmm. see it right now. I mean, a little bit of uncertainty because there is the final episode in the Skywalker saga coming up very soon. I mean, it's right around the corner, my friend. So I want to hear your final thoughts when it comes to Star Wars. Where does it stand with you when it comes to Star Wars and the Star Wars universe? Pretty much anything Star Wars is going to have a green light from me. I'm just going to stand back and just throw money at it every single time. I think that Galaxy's Edge was designed to not just be about the rides, but to be an immersive experience. So uh, to be honest, I'm I'm as excited, or probably even more excited, just to feel like I'm in the Star Wars universe as I am to actually go on a ride. Like I'd, I want to walk around and talk to a droid. I want to walk into a cantina and order a drink from like a big bug-headed alien guy, like, all those sort of things that, you know, six-year-old Ben wanted to do when he was watching Star Wars back in the late 70s, early 80s, all those things. The upcoming film, I'm really excited about it. JJ coming back for the third one, we're going to see a lot of those loops get closed. Kevin Feige joining, as we said before, I think it's going to be really interesting to see him sort of tie all these different elements in of the universe in together, particularly with all the TV shows coming out on the streaming services, The Mandalorian, all that sort of stuff. For me, I'm really interested to see where Star Wars goes. I think it's only going to get bigger and better. I think so as well. Now that Kevin Feige is part of the deal, I think the future for Star Wars is headed to a galaxy far, far away. What are your thoughts out there on the future of Star Wars? Let us hear your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, and also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, Game Source, and Smoking Hot Confessions on Facebook, Instagram, and also Twitter as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. 
In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. My friend... Let's also talk about when it comes to DC. We had a conversation on our last time about DC and all the things that were so much in flux and uncertainty, like the Star Wars universe is for us right now. There's a lot of concerns and a lot of issues that we brought up and a lot of things that we were hoping for and speculated on. Now that the picture is a little bit clear this time around when it comes to the DC universe, what are your thoughts now? going forward i mean we can break it down in regards to the joker birds of prey the wonder woman 84 i mean there's it's still somewhat murky to an extent that it's not as clear as what marvel's doing but at least now from our time before it's a step in the right direction yeah definitely i think um the dc universe is sort of they've got to have taken some lessons from from what's uh, come back to them after the justice league and the batman versus superman films what sort of has really struck me about DC is that they seem to do standalone films really well. So Wonder Woman, brilliant, loved it. I thought they absolutely nailed it. Aquaman, I really enjoyed. But then you try and do the ensemble movies and they, I don't know what happened. They were just, they just could not seem to get it together. There's a lot of talk about the Flashpoint film being axed. I think that's a missed opportunity for them because they've got the opportunity to basically wipe their own slate clean and restart everything from scratch if they do do the Flashpoint story. So, you know, it would make more sense to have the Flashpoint movie come out before the next Batman trilogy because, oh, why is Batman suddenly different? But we can still have Robert Pattinson's Batman playing with Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. How does that happen? Oh, well, because the Flash changed it all in, in Flashpoint. So I think they've kind of missed an opportunity there to sort of course correct themselves but I definitely think that the the individual movies are stronger than the United films at the moment. You were talking about Joker before. I'm really excited to see that. There's a lot of Oscar talk about that film already. The trailers look amazing, and I like that it's a I like that it's a different sort of look at the character, and it's I like that it's focusing on him rather than him as a kind of a side character of of something else. So. I'm, it, it's not out here in Australia yet. I, I don't know if, if, if you've already seen it. but um, Next week. Next week it next comes week. out here in, in the States, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm pretty excited, I've got to tell you. Well, I'll say this because here in the States, you're starting to hear stuff about groups that are actually behind trying to go ahead and get the movie toned down. The victims of some shootings, which obviously are, are very distraught and still in a very sad way they see this movie and whether or not they've seen it already in some cases they have they they've expressed deep concern to warner brothers about the complexities of the movie and the actual themes going into the movie itself as far as not only mental health but the issues of, of violence and the, and the things that it leads to as far as is concerned, because this is an R-rated Joker film. It is going over the top in many ways. You're right. There is a lot of Oscar buzz going forward. I mean, for most of the critics out there, they're really enjoying what they're seeing. There has been a couple that are just tuning out the Joker altogether and have said so in, in no uncertain fashion. 
But with most of the critics, they're really praising the performance of Joaquin Phoenix and the direction of Todd Phillips, who we know from The Hangover. So, I. I but uh, what concerns me is that theaters are now also as well. A couple theaters have already done it, and I'm sure you're going to hear more in the coming days as you read on the internet or whatnot that there's going to be theaters that are actually not going to be presenting the Joker or actually showing the the Joker at all in any shape or form because of the concerns of mental illness and possible repercussions from that. And in fact, the military has advised or may put out their word that there is a growing concern among them as far as in the movie being shown to a certain extent because of the fact of its same themes. And, and so they're being alerted to be on, I don't want to say on alert per se, but their, their ears are perked, their eyebrows are raised, and they're actually paying attention to what's going on with the Joker it is expected to be right around $80 million for an opening, which if you'd have asked me that six months ago, even nine months ago when the movie was first announced or really got in underway with trailers and all that, I would have told you you're crazy because I didn't think this movie was going to hit at all. I, you know, Josh and I had no desire, but come six months later, nine months later, I'm now more in line with what you're thinking that is something now I have to see. It's an experience that I want to see and judge for myself. How far does it go into and in dealing with these difficult topics? Because it does go into the difficult topic of the Joker. And one of the ways that has been categorized and created in comic books on how he came to life. I mean, there's been what, two, three, four different ways, I believe, that the Joker origin has been told each of them different whether it's uh what was it red hood when he was thrown into the vat of chemicals in this case it's arthur fleck and just a deep dark descent into madness a descent into a dark place that keeps on going and keeps on going and gets perpetuated and fed in by everybody that's in his life that doesn't want to go ahead and help him so this could be a really dark movie for a lot of people could bring out a lot of different and bad themes, but it is intended to get people talking. And I think this movie is going to do just that. Yeah, look, without a doubt, there's definitely going to be a ton of uh, trigger points in this movie. You know, you've you've got the, the history of the Aurora shooting. The guy dressed up as Joker went into the cinema, did his thing, was incredibly horrible and, and, and tragic. And it sort of raises the question of art imitating life, imitating art, you know, the that guy was imitating what he saw in the film and he was having mental problems and mental health issues and picked up weaponry and took it out on the world that way. And now this new movie's coming out where a man's having mental health problems, picks up a gun and takes it out on, on society. And also I just want to point out, I'm coming at this from a different cultural framework here in Australia. We, you know, for us as Australians, watching films with a lot of gun violence, it's borderlines on like a fantasy film in terms of what life's like for us here in Australia, because we are pretty much a, a gun-free society. So I just want to explain that just so that listeners are aware that I have a different cultural framework of reference to these issues than, say, yourself. And if I say something that may trigger something in the audiences, that's just because I, as I said, I have a different understanding of the issues than yourselves who have experienced them. So as I said, it becomes art imitating life, imitating art. And something you said really was really interesting there. You, you mentioned that it's going to get people talking. I am in the camp of 
there needs to be probably needs to be stricter gun control laws. And I think that if if this film is going to force people to have that conversation and something actually comes of it, then that's going to be a good thing. If it does go the other way, as you were mentioning before, some people are worried that it might influence audience members who are having some mental health issues themselves. You know, it's it's not their fault, but it is their responsibility to seek help properly and properly manage their, their mental health issues. You know, I, whew, it's such a huge concept. Like, as I'm trying to get the words out, I'm just, I'm seeing this line dividing in my mind of the positive things or the negative things. There doesn't seem to be a gray area. And I think it's going to be a really polarizing film. And I mean, oh, if it weren't for the Aurora shooting having happened with the last Joker movie, would we be having this discussion about this movie? Because this concept of a man who's been pushed to the edge, he's having mental health issues and picks up a gun and resorts to violence. We've seen it so many times, so many times. You know, we, we mentioned Rambo before, Michael Douglas in Falling Down. What was that 20, 25 years ago? You know, we've, it's a recurring theme. It's not a new theme. So, you know, I guess that there's that element of it too. As a movie, I'm really excited to see it as a movie. As I did explain before, when I do go and see this in Australia, though, I'm not going to be sitting there in the cinema having those same sort of fears that, that a lot of other audience members might have watching it in the States. So I, I definitely understand that and I definitely appreciate that as well. But just as a moviegoer from Australia and a huge fan of, of the Batman universe and the Batman characters, one of my favourite all-time movies is Batman 1989 with Jack Nicholson's Joker. I'm really excited to see what they do when they're dedicating a movie just to exploring that Joker character. You know, I want to thank you so much for pointing that out as far as being from Australia. It is a totally different way of seeing this type of film than the way people here in the United States see it. And you're right, without getting too political on the gun control issue, because that's not for my show to determine, uh, or, <laughs> yeah. because I really don't want to get into that too much. People go, I heard on politics. Worms open. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I'll leave it to my friends at Voice from the Underground. They like to talk politics on every show, and they can go ahead and do that. But I will tell you this. I totally respect your opinion on it, and I totally respect everything that you're saying on it, and especially it's, it's good that I see your perspective on things because you live in a country where the gun laws there are completely different from this one. But to see it as far as the Joker having this type of attention, some of it good, some of it not so good, is very interesting and polarizing, just like the character ultimately is himself. So it's going to be very interesting to see this time next week. The hype is going to really be at a you know a high pitch. Again, like I said, $80 million is expected now. So with the way things always seem to trend up, it could even reach $100 million. And for an R-rated movie, that is really good. It's only happened a couple times before with the It movies. So I'll tell you what, this could be a really good sign for DC and Warner Brothers to say, hey, you know what? These self-contained movies are not such a bad idea. Maybe we should go with this in the future and even though I will be sad as far as from a universe and world building standpoint that they're not going to go ahead and, and try and build that universe once again, I think it might be for the best going forward for them to build good quality pictures. But then again, 
we go back to a universe or world building picture possibly in Birds of Prey, which could also lead into Suicide Squad. Do they want to put those two together? Or do they want to just leave them apart and somehow explain Margot Robbie's character? I'd like to see if they if they try to keep them separate, how they're going to explain her role in either one of them. So that will be tough to explain there. In fact, her role in Birds of Prey, as opposed to what we saw in the first original Suicide Squad, where are they going to do for that and how are they going to explain that? Are they going to just totally detach themselves from that? That's a different story because you see... They are in this world where they could still build a universe. And then there's in this world where their best movies, like you said, are freestanding alone and meant for just a one-time experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in Birds of Prey, it looks like Harley's going to be one of the good guys or a, like a like an anti-hero. Whereas in, in Suicide Squad, she was definitely one of the bad guys who was being forced to be a good guy with the bomb chip in her neck. So... I don't know if she's going to do birds of prey and then do another suicide squad. Like, is she going to be bad? And then she does something good and then does like, yeah, the, the different transitions between the teams are going to be interesting unless they just sort of pluck her out of birds of prey as the leader of that team and say, Hey, you did such a good job over there. We want you to be the new leader of the suicide squad. Who knows what James Gunn has in mind for her for the next suicide squad movie playing Harley Quinn and of course, her character will be a major part of Birds of Prey when it comes out early next year as well. Again, that's also going to lead into Wonder Woman 84, which we haven't even seen yet. Aquaman 2, which we haven't even heard has started production yet, but we know it will be at some point. You cannot have a sequel to a movie that earned over a billion dollars. So all these things going forward, I want to hear your final thoughts from where our conversation was a few months back. What are your thoughts now going forward on the DC Universe? I'm a lot more positive than I was last time we, we spoke about it. I, I have gone back a couple of times. I've tried to watch Batman vs Superman again. I've tried to watch Justice League again, and I only get about 20 minutes through, and I've got to turn it off. But I can watch Wonder Woman again and again. I've already watched Aquaman about two or three times. As I said, I really still do want to see that uh, that Flashpoint film. I was a bit sort of skeptical of Ezra Miller as the Flash in Justice League, but I ended up really liking him. So I would like to see an individual film focusing on him. I mean, are we going to get Man of Steel too? So, you know, there's still so many questions, but I think in terms of focusing on some good individual films, that's what they need to do now to restore faith in the franchise. And then maybe in five years' time, maybe try and bring some people back together again for a little bit of a team-up. I'd like to see that as well. But with Superman, that's all in flux with Henry Cavill being rumored to already be gone from the DCEU. I mean, he's already, well, Warner Brothers has pretty much all but said it. If you believe the rumors that he's even already talked to Marvel for a role in the MCU, which would be the, the ultimate kicker as far as that's concerned. So everything could be going haywire in many parts of the DC universe, but there are some parts they're getting right. And it all hopefully starts with the Joker coming out October 4th. And hopefully more will come out with good thoughts, good feelings, and good movies when it comes out to next year with Wonder Woman 84, Birds of Prey, and anything else that comes down the road from the DC Universe. What are your thoughts out there on the DC Universe? Share us your thoughts. Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, Game Source, and Smoking Hot Confessions on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Well, when we return, 
We're going to be talking some good cooking because you know we can't have a show without my good friend Ben Arnaud talking some great grilling about some good stuff like chicken and carne asada coming up after the break. This is the PCC Multiverse. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis and we're back to close out the show this is the pcc multiverse if you need a listing of where we're at because we're being played all around the world in great countries like australia where you're at my friend the uk the us and canada check out our listings today at pop culture cosmos on facebook where you also see many listings of our different podcast outlets as well i mean i stopped counting at 30 to be honest with you and i know we're on more so just like yours I mean, with all these podcatchers that are out, my gosh, it just seems like a dime, a dozen, plenty. You know what? Although PodCoin, that did bite the dust this past week. So rip, rest in peace to PodCoin and, and making money off of your podcast. So I'm sorry about that for everybody out there. And also listening to podcasts, you, that was the one that was offering money to, you know, to listen to them. So didn't quite work out for that business model. But for great podcast apps as well, we have a lot of great suggestions on our Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page as well. You, my friend, have got a great thing going with Smoking Hot Confessions and Smoking Hot Confessions, the podcast, SmokingHotConfessions.com, and all those great conversations and great recipes that you got right there for you. So what's going on, man? Share the goods. Actually, share the food and share the smells. That's even better. What's going on with Smoking Hot Confessions? Oh, mate, there is so much going on. Right now, as we're talking... I've actually got on my back deck out there, just out behind the computer screen here, I've, I've got a smoker set up. I've got all my lights. I've got my video cameras. I've got my microphone on. I've, I've currently got three different types of meat in the smoker, and I'm doing a video review of a uh, wireless barbecue thermometer at the same time. So I'm literally, I've stepped away from that to come shoot this interview with you. And apart from that, I've been doing four separate videos today. So there's loads happening here at the moment. Next weekend, I'm flying down to South Australia head out to the Barossa Valley, get this, I'm going to be going to a barbecue festival at a craft beer brewery out in the Barossa Valley, which is famous South Australian wine country. Will you be alive is the is the thing that I want to see. <laughs> Will there just be on your Facebook page this like dead body, just like here, <laughs> yeah. had fun with beer yeah. and barbecue? Yeah. R.I.P. Smoking Hot Confessions with just barbecue sauce smeared all over my face and a jug of beer in my hand. There yeah, pretty go. much, pretty much. It's been really busy. It's been really exciting doing lots of, uh, as I said, we're sort of moving a lot into videos at the moment. So we're um, doing a lot of different recipe cooks and different how-tos and product reviews and all that sort of stuff. So just trying to stay at the forefront of what's happening in, in barbecue. And as I said before, traveling around the country, getting out to different festivals. So by the end of this year, I will have hit six out of the seven states for barbecue competition. So it's really going really well. And as I said to you before, I'm already planning my next trip out to the States early next year. It's looking like we're going to be doing a four-week road trip and doing a little video series while we're out there shooting different barbecue joints, meeting different uh, personalities in the barbecue scene. And of course, eating barbecue and drinking craft beer, my two of my favorite things after Star Wars. There you go. There you go, my friend. Where can everybody get updates on what you're doing 
where you're at and all the great podcasts you've got on the shelf as well. Well, we're really plugging a lot of effort into YouTube at the moment. Season six of the podcast is about halfway through now. So you can check that out. It's on YouTube as well. And also on all of the, as you're mentioning before, the different podcast apps, the different podcatchers, all that sort of stuff. Just look for Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast and you'll find us there. And then smokinghotconfessions.com. So everything also gets published through the website as well. So the website is the central hub for everything. And then all the social media stuff is the peripherals around that. So if you really prefer one particular social media platform, we've got you covered. So we've got Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. I'm playing with TikTok. I don't know. I, I think I have to get my seven-year-old to teach me how to use TikTok. I don't know. You're a braver man than I am. <laughs> I am on Snapchat, but I can't work it out. And uh, I, I probably need someone like a, a teenager to show me how to use that one. Although mm, things I've heard about teenagers and Snapchat, I'm not too sure I want to get involved in that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the website also has all the podcasts, all the recipes written up, all the, all the how-tos, the reviews, all that sort of stuff's on there as well. Absolutely. It's a great thing indeed. It is the world of Smoking Hot Confessions. Starts off with the site itself, smokinghotconfessions.com, but also all the videos that go on to YouTube, all the podcasts that you can get on YouTube and any major podcast platform, plus all the, the interviews, the reviews, articles, that's all right there for you. It's Smoking Hot Confessions. Type it anywhere you go and everything comes up with the world of Smoking Hot Confessions. Well, before we head on out, my friend, you always leave me hungry. You always leave me wanting to go back to the store, but it's actually midnight my time right now. So Costco's not open. So I can't go in there and just like loot and pillage and plunder their meat, you know, and spend $200 right there on that. So I saved myself from that, but it's still going to leave me hungry after we end the show here. So I got to ask you, my friend, I know you got some great ideas on carne asada, but I'll, I'll save the best for last. I want to hear your thoughts on, again, another great idea with chicken. You've had so many that you've suggested before. All you have to do, folks, is just type in Ben Arnaud, B-E-N-A-R-N-O-T, on our site as far as for the Podbean when you do a search. And all the episodes with all the recipes he's ever come up with come onto the channel for and You can play them there for you. But, you know, chicken is the universal love. Chicken is something you can always do. It's always there for you. But I want to hear another great idea that, that you've actually executed with chicken it's called fried not fried chicken wings we all love buffalo wings we all love that sort of that crunchy skin deep fried and so the way we do that is we get just a regular weber kettle it's got the nice domed lid on the top that reflects the heat all around and you can get little charcoal baskets for your weber or you can get something called a vortex or a kettle cone and it'll hold the charcoal in the center of your weber so it's going to act like a big funnel it's going to send heat up through the funnel it's going to hit the lid and it's going to reflect back down. And so then you lay all your chicken wings out around the outside. And so what you're going to do, first of all, you're going to break your chicken wings up into pieces and you're going to season them up with a buffalo seasoning spice. As I said, lay them out in a big ring around the outer circle of your Weber. You're going to dump a chimney full of lit charcoal into the middle, into those charcoal baskets or a vortex, and it's going to get up to about 500 degrees Fahrenheit. It's going to come shooting up like a volcano. It's going to hit that dome lid on the Weber, and it's going to reflect the heat back down. And so what you get is you get high heat indirect cooking. So the wings aren't going to burn because they're not directly above the charcoal. They're over here, and the hot air is being forced over it. And so you're basically air frying these chicken wings. And so you end up with these delicious, crunchy, juicy, spicy, if you've gone buffalo style, 
spicy chicken wings that are just amazing and then with a nice bit of ranch dressing on the side my wife likes blue cheese as well and it's as simple as that and it's crunchy it's uh, i'm gonna say it's healthy it's not deep fried so i'm gonna call that healthy healthy barbecue food and it's literally finger licking good so that's my tip for this episode i'll tell you what my friend i've got my buffalo sauce and my cider ranch already for that. Oh, delish. Oh. Then I know what you're doing tomorrow. <laughs> yes, yes. Indeed, my friend. Well, before we end it out, I got to ask you, I, I set it up as something we were going to talk about on today's program, something I wanted to do different because I always got to throw some type of different meat or something just different for you to go ahead and come up with because we came up with traditional when it concerns chicken. I wanted to go ahead and also, before we head on out, touch on carne asada which is something that maybe not everybody is familiar with, but I think they should because the flavor, when you do it right, is truly, truly just an enjoyable experience. And at one point in time in your life, it's definitely something you should undertake because when you cook it and when you grill it and when it comes right off the grill sizzling hot like that, there isn't many things much better than a good slab of carne asada. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So Carne asada typically just means grilled meat. If you look in the in the dictionary, that's the literal translation. So it's high heat, direct cooking. So you're going to have the layer of charcoal, your grill, and your meat directly above the charcoal. The most common form of carne asada is a beef steak, and it's usually seasoned up with some typical Latin flavors. So you've got your salts, you've got some citrus flavors in there as well, some chili, some cilantro. The steak is usually marinated first, which is something that not of a lot of people do outside of those Latin countries in terms of mar- like pre-marinating a steak. Typically, we usually tend to season a steak and then put it on the grill rather than marinate it. So that's a bit different. It gives the meat a chance to really soak up those flavors and get it right into the pores of the muscle there. Particularly if you're using some citrus, like a nice bit of lime juice, something in there, lime and salt. I mean, I think we all know how good lime and salt is together. Get that together, get that on there some high heat, a couple of minutes on either side, depending on the thickness of your steak, slice it against the grain. If you slice it with the grain, it's going to be chewy no matter how well you've cooked it. Slice it against the grain. And if you're really handy with a sharp knife, you can do it on about a 45 degree angle through the steak. And that's going to be even better again. So yeah, I I actually got to spend probably six weeks in Mexico about two years ago. And I wasn't in any of the big cities. I was three, four hours out of the city in villages of a 1,000 people where they literally have these cut-in-half oil drums on legs on the side of the road, and you go along and you pay a couple of pesos and you get to eat all this fresh grilled carne asada meat just straight off the grill in traditional style, and it is phenomenal. When it comes to serving, I'm a bit of a – like I'm, I'm a carnivore. We all know that. I'll just slice it and just eat it. One of the most common ways of serving it is to get a circular tortilla – Put the meat in the tortilla and then some guacamole, some pico de gallo, a little bit of cilantro dressing, maybe some seasoned corn, and wrap that up in happy days. Oh, man. You're just – you're awful, man. You're just so mean to me. How could you do this? Now <laughs> I'm going to be dreaming – now I'm going to be dreaming of carne asada tacos all night long. You're just oh, – oh, my gosh. It's just so awesome, though, to hear you describe in detail both these chicken wings and, and this carne asada Uh, You know, whether you have it as a slab, whether you have it in the form of tacos, carne asada, if it's flavored right, it's just truly an awesome experience. And I can't agree with you more. Just 
phenomenal, I think is the best way to say it. You just hit it right on the head with that. Again, if you need any more info, you just go to smokinghotconfessions.com and you'll see all the great stuff there that, that he's been a part of, all the great interviews. Go to his YouTube page, Smoking Hot Confessions. You're going to see a lot of great videos there. Any last things on the way out? Mate, I'm all good. I just want to say thanks for having me on board the show again. I love coming on the Pop Culture Cosmos. We get to talk about movies and comic books and all, all sorts of different things and, of course, barbecue as well. So we literally get to cover all my favorite things in, in one go. So I'm always happy to be part of it, and I look forward to being a part of it in the future as well. Oh, you know you're coming back for our holiday episodes, so I'm going to get you on so we can go ahead in detail as it gets closer to the holidays, your picks for holiday dishes. So... You know, you think you're hungry now? Oh, just wait until we get to the holidays. It's going to be Ben Arno tempting you with all these great dishes. You're going to be sending a mail saying, hey, truly appreciated. So for Ben Arno, this is Gerald Glasswood. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And now I'm really hungry. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.